You may be seated. Well, again, good morning to you, or maybe more appropriately, given this uh, country-western theme, howdy, y'all. <laughs> also, uh, happy Father's Day again uh, to all you dads. Glad your kids got you up this morning. You know, someone asked me when they saw the, uh, the scene behind me this morning, they said, Camper, do you have the credentials to speak on that country-western stage? <laughs> I think that says it. Well, seriously, today uh, we begin a new sermon series. Uh, we'll be in the book of Psalms uh, throughout the summer, uh, all the way through Labor Day weekend. And as we enter into the book of, the book of Psalms, it's, it's important to note that the New Testament quotes Psalms more than any other book in the Bible. Uh, so clearly, this is a profoundly important book uh, for us to be in. And this morning we begin with Psalm 1, an introduction uh, to the whole book of Psalms, uh, of which there are 150. Uh, Psalm 1 and 2 together uh, serve as an introduction. You'll get Psalm 1 this week, uh, Psalm 2 next week. An introduction to what is often referred to as the Psalter, uh, the song book, the prayer book of God's people. And in particular, Psalm 1 sings of the choice of two ways of life. Now, given this choice between two ways of life and the fact that I am preaching on a country western stage as I was preparing, I could not help but be reminded of Friday evenings in my home growing up in Georgia as a kid uh, in the 80s. After dinner, I was so excited. I would put on my flannel shirt, my blue jeans, my cowboy boots, a belt with a big buckle, and last but not least, a lock blade knife. And I could envision sliding over the hood of one of my parents' cars and jumping in the window without opening the door. <laughs> That's right, it was almost 8 o'clock, time for the Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> Which means it was also time for one of the best cars to ever hit the streets. I see some nods out there. Amen. <laughs> The General Lee, a souped-up 1969 Dodge Charger in all of its orange glory. Now, those of you privileged enough to be familiar with this award-winning television show, <laughs> and more so with the high-caliber car, you know what unfolded week after week after week. You'd find Bo and Luke Duke, and they would be driving the General in high-speed chases, back roads, and they would be chased by... Sheriff Roscoe P. Coltrane. And that's right, and his dog Flash. Hot pursuit driving his uh, very own Hazard County Police Cruiser. Now, typical scene, be chasing down a, a dirt road and they would come to a fork in the road. The road would split, so now two roads, two ways to go. And one of them, of course, was closed. The bridge was washed out or, or something of the sort. And what did the Duke boys do? They always chose that road. They would break through the warning sign that said, Danger, road closed, and they would jump the general clear over the ravine and land safely on the other side. Or at least that's what television had us believe. But probably more likely is what happened to Roscoe as he always followed suit and would try to jump but would always crash and burn. 
wrecked car, nowhere to go. So clearly the case here, and actually to make this illustration a bit more sophisticated, I quote famed poet Robert Frost. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Well, God's word tells us that ultimately that does make all the difference, and so that's what we're going to consider this morning. Uh, Two roads, two ways of life, and, and that leads to our text this morning, Psalm 1. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's found on page 448. Let me pray for us, and then we'll hear God's word. We come to you this morning, our good and gracious God, our Heavenly Father, revealed beautifully and perfectly in our Lord Jesus with our eyes open to see that beauty by the power of your Spirit. We ask this morning that you would once again open us to your word and your word to us that our hearts would truly hear and believe and that our lives would be changed. And so we ask you to do once again what only you can do. And we ask it in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So now I invite you, hear the word of God, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree. Planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of God, given to us for our good and his glory, and so to it we turn. And so today we're going to consider this passage in two parts. We're going to begin with two ways to live, and then look at one way to delight. Two ways to live, one way to delight. So we'll begin with two ways to live. And it's pretty clear, uh, just a, a first reading of Psalm 1, that there are these two ways. There's the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous. Now, put simply, Reformed theologian John Frame states, people not charged with sin are righteous people. Thus, people who are charged with sin are not righteous people. Those charged with sin are wicked. In other words, their their sin is still counted against them. Now, it's important to make the distinction. This is is not an issue of good people versus bad people. And that's a mistake that we often make in the church. We begin to think that it's about us good people in the church and all the bad people out there. But that's not what is going on here. It's not about the good people and the bad people, but about forgiven people 
and unforgiven people. About those who trust in Jesus and his finished work on the cross and those who don't. The psalmist was a believer in the same sense that a Christian is a believer today. You see, the psalmist believed in God's promises and trusted in him alone for salvation. Uh, The primary difference is that he and other Old Testament believers looked forward to the promised Redeemer who was to come, while today the Christian looks back to the Redeemer who has already come. And the emphasis of Psalm 1 is on the way of the righteous. Now, the way of the wicked, though illustrated, it's not explained here. Of course, understanding of this way of life, we can find it throughout all of Scripture. What we do see here is that the way of the wicked is rooted in the values and priorities of a fallen, rebellious world. Take a look, verse 1. These key words, counsel, way, seat, the counsel of the wicked. The way of sinners, the seat of scoffers. These portray departures from God, three uh, distinct departures from God. There's accepting the world's advice, being party to its ways, and then embracing the hard-hearted posture of scoffers. Those who would mock God, those who would mock God's people, those who are farthest away from repentance. The way of the wicked is rooted in the values and priorities of a fallen, rebellious world. And whatever you're rooted in is what colors your life. Think back to elementary school for a moment. How many of you remember the uh, celery in food coloring experiment? Anybody do the celery in food coloring? Okay, it's a participatory moment. A few hands. Okay, I see lots of nods. People don't like to raise their hands in Presbyterian churches. That's okay. But you know, you take the stalks of celery, you put them in the cups of water, and you add various colors of food coloring. And then over time, you get to watch as that colored water travels up the veins of the celery and eventually colors the whole stalk and all the leaves. Whatever you're rooted in is what colors your life. And so it matters eternally what is coursing through the veins of your heart. The way of the wicked is rooted in the poison of sin and death. Without being set free, the way of the wicked will ultimately bring destruction and death. Verse 6, the way of the wicked will perish. In verse 5, the the wicked will not stand in the judgment. And why? Why won't they stand? Because they are like chaff. Verse 4. The psalmist likens them to chaff. The wicked are like chaff that the wind drives away. Chaff, the the rootless, weightless, useless husk and straw that the the wind blows away when a a farmer throws the, the, the threshed weed into the air. That which has no substance blows away. While that which does have substance, does have weight, remains The chaff way of life, the way of the wicked. No substance, no meaning, ultimately no hope. Now the title of of an award-winning film based on a book by the the same name, 
that this title summarizes so well what we are talking about here. The unbearable lightness of being. The tagline for this film. In a world in which lives are shaped by irrevocable choices, existence seems to lose its substance, its weight. Hence we feel the unbearable lightness of being. In the end, before the judge, the wicked, those whose sin has not been forgiven, they will not have a leg to stand on and no place among God's people. But whereas the, the chaff person is ultimately blown away, the tree person is firmly rooted, stands strong, and has a place among God's people. And so the other way of life, the other way to live, is, is the way of the righteous. The righteous. Again, people not charged with sin are righteous people. So here's the deal. God's word is clear. All have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, not even one. In other words, all are chaff. All are wicked in and of ourselves. But God. But God, 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him, Jesus. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, Jesus became chaff. In our place so that we might become righteous. Jesus took on our wickedness so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Again, Psalm 1, the distinction is not about good people and bad people, but about forgiven people and unforgiven people. About those who trust in Jesus and his work of forgiveness on the cross. Those who are forgiven of their sin and thus, in Christ, are righteous people. And so I ask you this morning, have you put your trust in Jesus? Have you looked to him and to him alone? And if not, I implore you to turn to him now. To look to him for the forgiveness of sin and reconciliation with God. Christ alone is the only true salvation. Our only true hope. Now if you have put your trust in Jesus, then be encouraged. Be encouraged because you are righteous in Christ. And what are you like? You're like a tree. Verse 3, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. Plain and simple, this is a life rooted in and led by God. It's a life rooted in God's story of grand redemption and grace, his hope, and thus it is Thus, lives that are overflowing with faithfulness to God's, following God's commands. Now, are we talking about moral perfection? No. 
But what we are talking about is continual repentance and faith and a a growing obedience, what the Apostle Paul calls the obedience of faith, enabled by the grace of our God. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. In other words, he has seasons of fruitfulness as the Lord appoints. Not that every season is fruitful, but there are seasons of fruitfulness. However, he always has steady, sustained growth, no matter what the season, even if that steady, sustained growth is hard to discern. God is at work. He is faithful to complete the work that he has begun at the day of Christ Jesus. A tree planted by streams of water, growing in grace despite the storms of life, being blown this way or that, though pain and suffering not withering like a a leaf, a dead leaf in the midst of a drought. And all of this because he is deeply rooted in God's story of redemptive grace. His roots go down deep. He drinks deeply from the well of life, drawing hope, meaning, substance, life, From God, from who God is, from what God has done. Like the celery and the the food coloring experiment, the righteous are infused with the living water of God's grace, which courses through their veins and it colors their lives. And this is true life. This person is bound by faith to God, grounded in the gospel of grace. So, how does this happen? I mean, we hear that it happens, but, but how does he become like a tree planted by streams of water? How does he go down deep? How does he draw hope and meaning and substance, life from God, to, to such a degree that in the words of another pastor, rather than being consumed by the unbearable lightness of being, he tastes the wonderful substance of being? Well, that brings us to the heart of Psalm 1. The way of delight. Though two ways to live, only one way to delight. One way to delight. Verses uh, 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. We were created to delight in God. And as we all know, delight is about experiencing and and expressing joy and gladness. It's something we all deeply long for. You think of those moments when you have that that joyful experience. You you experience it and then you want to tell others about it. That's delight. But ever since the fall, we've sought delight apart from God. We've gone chasing after other things to, to fill us. Well, here, Psalm 1, the psalmist calls us back to the fountain of life, to God himself, to God's word to God's ways, to know him and to be known by him, known fully and loved eternally. Many of you have heard before, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And that in itself is a call. It's it's an invitation with the psalmist to delight in God. And so here at the opening of God's prayer book for God's people, what are we called to do? We're called to meditate. To meditate on the truth of God's word. For he meditates on his law day 
and night. You see, the way of the righteous is nourished through meditation. Meditation is the way of delight. Okay, now let's stop for a moment. Need to clarify what we mean by the word meditation. I lived in the Pacific Northwest, very new agey city of Vancouver. Okay, we are not talking about an anti-rational new age spirituality where there is an emptying of oneself. Not at all. What we are talking about is a, a biblical contemplation where there is a filling of oneself. A filling of oneself with the good news of who God is and what he has done and what he does in us. It is an, an, an active, patient pondering, filling our hearts with the truths of God's word. You can think of meditation if you've ever seen a dog chew on a bone. That's meditation. Or a cow chewing on cud. A slow, intentional, active, patient pondering. That's meditation. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now, meditation. Some of you might be thinking, great. I've grown up in the church, or I just came into the church. I have no idea how to meditate. Good, camper, I'm glad if, if you know how to do this, but I don't. Yes, you do. I guarantee all of you know how to meditate. If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. And, 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 and seriously, I mean, it, it is a bit humorous, but think we meditate all the time. We, we spin on negative things, but the call here is to spin on the positive, to spin on the eternal, to spin on the glorious, namely, to spin on God's story of redemption and hope. That's meditation. The love and mercy of Jesus, the perfect fulfillment of the law in our place that we might know God, the one who forgives our disobedience, and enables our, our obedience. That we might be reconciled. That we might know him. Meditation is about spending time with Jesus. Spending time with our, our Heavenly Father. Th this morning in the intergenerational Sunday school hour, we, we began looking at Lord, teach us to pray. What is it like to talk to our God? And, and, and Rob gave some great examples of what it is for a father and children to be talking uh, Nate and, and Rob had a conversation, or multiple conversations, I believe, during the, uh, the course. But just to, what do they talk about? Whatever's on their mind, whatever's on their heart. Spending time together. Spending time together with God so that we, we grow in our joy of Him. We grow in relationship. And we become more and more convinced that He actually does love us. That He delights in us. That as the psalmist said, he rescued us because he delights in us. That's the truth that transforms lives. Now, I think back to when Heather and I were engaged, and, and I've shared this before. Uh, we were both recent college grads, just starting at new jobs, and, and we were very busy. I mean, the newness of the jobs, the jobs themselves, very busy. We were engaged, and and all of a sudden, life was different than it had been when we were dating in college. I mean, in college, we were on the same campus. We, could we ate in the same cafeteria. We studied in the same library, or at least I started studying in the same library when we started dating. <laughs> but, uh, and that's true. Um, but here we are now, workaday people, you know, living further apart, 
having these jobs that aren't connected and very busy and, and, and we're having a hard time relating. Well, we had begun premarital counseling uh, with the pastor who would eventually marry us, uh, Randy. And so we, had, we were doing premarital counseling with Randy. And I remember one day I was just, we were just missing each other, Heather and I were. So I, I set up an appointment with Randy and I went in and, and told him about this, this struggle to connect. And this is basically how the conversation went. It was pretty short. I, I told him about the struggle and Randy said, Camper, you need quality time together. I said, great, that's what I needed. Okay, how do I get that on the calendar? How can we schedule that? And he said, Camper, it doesn't work that way. Quantity time provides quality time. You two need to spend more time together so that you get some good time together. And I said, no, 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 Randy, you didn't hear. We're too busy. We're having trouble with this. So, I, I mean, I was discouraged. In fact, a little side note, I'm rooming with a guy named Paul at the time. Paul and Joanne got engaged shortly after Heather and I did. They began premarital counseling with Randy shortly after Heather and I did. And I remember one day Paul came home, and I knew that there had been premarital counseling for he and Joanne that day. And he came in, he just looked discouraged. And I said, don't tell me. You had that talk today on how quantity time leads to quality time. And he said, yeah, how did you know? So here I was, Randy, I am too busy. I don't have that kind of time. And he looked me in the eye and he said, you have time for that which is important to you. In a recent article, uh, Tim Keller writes this. The richness of my experience of God in prayer only occurs in the midst of much time set aside to be with him. The change of pace in the summer months gives me the opportunity to reinvigorate my prayer life, to reawaken the intimacy with God that I so deeply crave. And the main way I do this is to seek an increase in the amount of my meditation. It's no accident that the first two psalms in the Psalter are not prayers per se, but rather meditations. In fact, the very first psalm, the doorway into the prayer book of the Bible, is a meditation on meditation. Why? We are being taught that while it is certainly possible, and hear this, that while it is certainly possible for deep experiences of the presence and power of God to happen in innumerable ways, the ordinary way for going deeper spiritually is through meditation. It is in meditation that we get into deeper self-surrender, then into higher, clearer glimpses of God's beauty and finally, into powerful, dynamic prayer for the world around us. And the great Puritan Richard Baxter writes this. He writes that, the medita that meditation is the affecting of our own hearts and minds with love, delight, and humility toward the God who loves us and all that he says in his word. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. On his law. Now, th this word law simply refers to, to all of Scripture, to the whole of God's word. So the invitation is to meditate on the, the truth of God's word to the point of delight. It's an active, patient pondering on God's story of redemptive grace. It's chewing, feeding on the gospel 
of grace. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the word of God. And on his gospel, he meditates day after day after day. Meditation, it's the bridge from Bible study to prayer. And unfortunately, it's so often the piece that that we leave out. Uh, Martin Luther said it this way, that we should warm up the heart through meditation before we pray. If you think about a cold winter's day, which may be difficult in the middle of hot summer, but if you think back, we occasionally have those cold winter days. You go out, your car is iced over, and, and you've got to start it. You've got to warm up the car. It's not good for the car to just turn the key, crank it up, and then gun it. We need to warm up the car. We need to warm up our hearts. And as we study God's Word, we're we're filled with His truth. Then through meditation on the Gospel, all that He says about Himself and about us and Him, our hearts are warmed up. The, The engine of our hearts are then enabled to pray passionately to Him. And in our prayer, we... We're able to really, as he directs, as he drives, we're able to put the pedal to the metal and go as he directs, to go where he wants to take us, to lift people up as he desires. Again, meditation, an active, patient pondering on the gospel, a slow, thorough chewing on the good news, the good news of salvation for hell-deserving sinners through the person and work of Jesus. Forgiven of sin, clothed in His righteousness, reconciled to God. Meditation. Meditation on the gospel is, it, it allows our head theology to become true heart theology. From what we think and say we believe to really seek deep down into our souls so that we can live more fully in light of that which we say we believe. We we say we believe that God is gracious, but are we gracious to other people? We say we believe that God is a God of love, but do we really believe that he loves us? We say that God forgives. Have we received Do we receive that forgiveness? Do we extend forgiveness? So moving the head theology down into heart theology. And honestly, it can be hard work at times. But it is always good. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the word of God. And on his gospel, he meditates day after day after day. Brothers and sisters, we're called to meditate on God's Word. And we need to meditate on the truths of this Word. As another pastor down in in Birmingham, another PCA pastor puts it, he says, we need to continually soak in the hot tub of the Gospel. An active, patient soaking. Something refreshing, something relaxing, something that strengthens us. Soaking in all that we have and all that we are in Jesus. That's meditation. That's the way to delight. And so this summer, with its welcome change of of pace for many, 
I encourage you, take this opportunity to, to reinvigorate your prayer life, to, to step toward God as He steps toward you. Take this opportunity to meditate on God's Word, to take parts of Scripture and just read them over and over. The Psalms are a great place to be. The Lord is my shepherd. You might stay with just that for an entire day or week or summer. Like a tree planted by streams of living water, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. Let's pray.